Hello my friends, this is Nikki. Today we'll be reading about the Annunciation, page 79 from the Poem of the Man God, volume 1, uh, from Maria Valtorta. The Virgin Mary is living in her little house in Nazareth. She is about 15 years old and she is living alone, although she is betrothed uh, to Joseph. Uh, the period of where they begin to live together as husband and wife has not yet begun. He has fixed up her little house for her that uh, her parents had owned. It's greatly diminished in size. It's a poorer, smaller house, but it's very clean. It, the gardens are blooming, and Mary's very content there. At this time, she is 15 years old. She's sitting on a low stool and spinning some linen, which is as white as snow. There is a great silence in the little house and in the kitchen garden. There is a great peace both on Mary's face and in the surrounding place. There is peace and order. Mary begins to sing in a low voice. Then she raises her voice slightly, but she does not sing loudly. Still it is a voice vibrating in the little room, and one can perceive the vibration of her soul in it. Mary is probably remembering the songs of the temple and it must be a happy memory because she lays her hands in her lap while still holding the yarn and the spindle and lifts her head leaning against the wall. Her face is beautifully flushed and her eyes are shining with tears. Her song changes into a prayer. Most High Lord, do not delay any longer in sending your servant to bring peace to the world. Grant us the favorable time and the pure and prolific virgin for the coming of your Christ. Father, Holy Father, grant me, your servant, to offer my life for this purpose. Grant me to die after seeing your light and your justice on earth, and after knowing that our redemption has been accomplished. O Holy Father, send the promise of the prophets to the earth. Send the Redeemer to your maidservant, so that in the hour of my death your abode may be open to me, as its gates have already been opened by your Christ for all those who have hoped in you. Come, come, O Spirit of the Lord, come to the faithful who are expecting you. Come, Prince of Peace. Mary remains absorbed thus. The curtain moves fast as if someone behind it ventilated or shook it to draw it and a pearl-white light mixed with pure silver makes the slightly yellow walls clearer and makes the colors of the clothes brighter and Mary's raised face more spiritual. And in such light, while the curtain is still drawn on the mystery to be accomplished, the archangel prostrates himself. The curtain no longer moves. It is hanging stiff against the doorposts like a wall separating the inside from the outside. The angel must necessarily take a human appearance, but it is a transhumanized appearance. Of what flesh is this beautiful and gleaming figure made? With what substance did God form it to make it perceptible to the senses of the Virgin? Only God can possess such substances and use them so perfectly. It is a face, a body, eyes, a mouth, hair and hands like ours, but they are not our dull matter. It is a light that has taken the color of flesh, of eyes, 
hair, lips, a light that moves and smiles, looks and speaks. The archangel says, Hail Mary, full of grace, hail. Mary is startled and lowers her head, and she is even more startled when she sees the shining creature kneeling at about a meter from her and looking at her with infinite veneration, his hands crossed over his chest. Mary jumps to her feet, and she squeezes against the wall. She turns pale and red alternately. Her face shows surprise and fear. She subconsciously presses her hands against her breast, hiding them under her large sleeves. She stoops, endeavoring to conceal her body as much as possible, an attitude of gentle modesty. The angel says, No, do not fear. The Lord is with you. You are blessed among all women. But Mary continues to be afraid. Where has that extraordinary being come from? Is he a messenger of God or of the deceiver? Do not fear, Mary, repeats the archangel. I am Gabriel, the angel of God. My Lord has sent me to you. Do not be afraid, because you have found grace in the eyes of God, and you will conceive and bear a son, and you will call him Jesus. He will be great, and will be called Son of the Most High, and such he will really be. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will rule over the house of Jacob forever, and his reign will have no end. Understand, O holy virgin, loved by God, daughter blessed by him, called to be the mother of his son, what son you will generate. And Mary says, How can this come about, since I do not know man? Perhaps the Lord God will no longer accept the offer of his maidservant and does not want me a virgin for his love. And the archangel replies, Not by deed of man you will be a mother, Mary. You are the eternal virgin, the holy virgin of God. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will cover you with its shadow. So the child born of you will be called Holy and Son of God. Our Lord God can do everything. Elizabeth, the barren one in her old age, has conceived a son who will be the prophet of your son and will prepare his ways. Her memory will remain amongst peoples together with your name, as the name of her son will be joined to the name of your holy son. And until the end of centuries you will be called blessed because of the grace of the Lord which has come to you both, and particularly to you, by means of whom grace has come to all peoples. Elizabeth is in her sixth month, and her burden lifts her to joy, and will lift her even more when she hears of your joy. Nothing is impossible to the Lord, Mary, full of grace. What shall I tell my Lord? Let no thought whatsoever disturb you. He will protect your interests if you trust in him. The world, heaven, the Eternal Father are awaiting your word. Mary crosses her hands over her breast, and bowing down deeply, she says, I am the handmaid of the Lord. Let what you have said be done to me. The angel shines out of joy. He kneels in adoration, because he certainly sees the Spirit of God descend upon the Virgin, bent down in assent, 
and he disappears without moving the curtain, but leaves it well drawn over the holy mystery. I want to note something here. Please notice that the Archangel Gabriel asks Mary for her assent. He announces to her God's plan for her, but knowing that she has free will, he gives her the option to assent or dissent. And Mary, in her humility, chooses to obey God and to accept God's plan for her without questioning him, without wondering how it's going to look to Joseph. How will she manage to raise the Son of God? Mary has spent her whole life praying to God to send his Savior to the earth. In her humility, she asked only to serve the mother of the Savior, never realizing that it was she who was to become the mother of Jesus. And when the angel comes to her, he asks her, What do you say? What do you think? What is your, what is your uh, opinion? <laughs> he asks her, What shall I tell my Lord? Okay, he doesn't assume that she will just accept because as human beings, we have free will. And with our free will, we choose to obey God or we choose not to obey God. And Mary always chooses to obey God. Now on page 82, we will read what Jesus says about the disobedience of Eve and the obedience of Mary. Jesus says, Do we not read in Genesis that God made man the overlord of everything on the earth, that is, everything except God and his angelical ministers. Do we not read that he made the woman the companion of man in his joy and his domination over all living beings? Do we not read that they were allowed to eat of everything, with the exception of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Why? What is the meaning of the words, that he might rule? And what is the meaning of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Have you ever asked these questions, you man, who ask so many useless ones, and never ask your soul about heavenly truths? Your soul would tell you, if it were alive, because a soul in grace is held like a flower in the hands of your angel, by the Holy Spirit. How many truths your soul would tell you, if you only knew how to converse with it? If you loved your soul, that makes you like God, who is a spirit, as your soul is a spirit. What a great friend you would have if you loved your soul, instead of hating it to the extent of killing it. What a great and sublime friend with whom you could talk of celestial matters, since you men are so eager to talk. And you ruin one another with friendships, which, if they are not unworthy ones, they are almost always useless and they turn into a vain and damaging tumult of worldly words. I think Jesus here is talking about how we have superficial friendships and competitive friendships and rivalrous friendships, and we put so much stock into how many other people we may know or we may try to influence or may, we may be with. Instead, we should spend more time with our soul and our spirit and conversing with God. Jesus continues, and he says, Did I not say, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we shall come to him, and make our home with him? 
The soul in grace possesses love, and by possessing love it possesses God. That is the Father who preserves it, the Son who teaches it, the Holy Spirit who illuminates it. It therefore possesses knowledge, science, wisdom, light. Consider, therefore, what sublime conversations your soul could hold with you. Such conversations filled the silence of prisons, the silence of cells, the silence of hermitages, the silence of the rooms of holy sick people. Such conversations were the consolation of prisoners awaiting martyrdom, of cloistered monks and nuns searching for the truth, of hermits longing for an advanced knowledge of God, of sick people in bearing, nay, in loving their crosses. If you knew how to question your soul, you would be told that the true, extensive meaning of the words that he might rule is this, that man might dominate everything, that is, his three states, the lower state, the animal one, the middle state, the moral one, and the superior state, the spiritual one. And all three states are to be directed to one sole aim, to possess God. To possess God by deserving Him through a strict control which subdues all the power of one's ego and conveys it to one only purpose, to deserve to possess God. Your soul would tell you that God had forbidden the knowledge of good and evil because He had already granted good to His creatures gratuitously, and He did not want you to know evil, because it is a sweet fruit to taste, but once its juice becomes part of your blood, it causes a fever that kills you and produces a parching thirst, so that the more one drinks of that false juice, the more thirsty one becomes. You may object and ask, why did God put it there? Because evil is a force that originated by itself like certain monstrous diseases in the most wholesome body. Lucifer was an angel, the most beautiful of all the angels, a perfect spirit inferior only to God, and yet in his bright essence a vapor of pride arose, and he did not scatter it. On the contrary, he condensed it by brooding over it, and evil was born of this incubation. It existed before man. God had hurled Lucifer out of paradise, the cursed incubator of evil who had desecrated paradise. But he is the eternal incubator of evil, and as he can no longer soil paradise, he has soiled the earth. That metaphorical tree proves this truth. God had said to the man and the woman, You know all the laws and all the mysteries of creation, but do not infringe on my right of being the creator of man. My love will suffice for the propagation of the human race, and it will spread among you and will excite the new atoms of the race without any lust of the senses, but with purely charitable pulsations. I have given you everything, I am only keeping from myself this mystery of the formation of man. But Satan wanted to deprive man of this intellectual virginity, and with his venomous tongue he blandished and caressed Eve's limbs and eyes, exciting reflections and perpicacity, 
which they did not have before, because malice had not yet intoxicated them. Eve saw, and seeing, she wanted to try. Her flesh was aroused. Oh, if she had called to God, if she had hurried to him, saying, Father, the serpent has caressed me, and I am upset, the father would have purified and healed her with his breath, which could have infused new innocence into her, as it had infused life, and it would have made her forget the snake's poison, nay, it would have engendered in her a disgust for the serpent, as it happens in those who bear an instinctive dislike for diseases of which they have just been cured. But Eve does not go to the father. Eve goes back to the serpent. The sensation is a sweet one for her. Seeing that the fruit of the tree was good to eat and pleasing and agreeable to the eye, she took it and ate it. And Eve understood evil. Now malice was inside her and was gnawing at her intestines. She saw with new eyes and heard with new ears the habits and voices of beasts, and she craved for them with insane greed. She began the sin by herself. She accomplished it with her companion. That is why a heavier sentence is laid on woman. Because of her, man has become rebellious towards God and has become acquainted with lewdness and death. Because of her, he was no longer capable of dominating his three reigns, the reign of the spirit, because he allowed the spirit to disobey God, the moral reign, because he allowed passions to master him, the reign of the flesh, because he lowered it down to the instinctive level of beasts. The serpent seduced me, says Eve. The woman offered me the fruit, and I ate of it, says Adam. And the triple greed, malice, lust, and pride has ruled the three dominions since then. Only grace can relax the hold of this ruthless monster, and if grace is alive, nay thoroughly alive, and kept more and more alive by the good will of a faithful son, it will succeed in strangling the monster and will no longer have anything to fear. It will not be afraid of internal tyrants, which are the flesh, and passions. Neither will it be afraid of external tyrants, which are the world and the mighty ones on the earth. It will dread neither persecutions nor death. It is, as Paul the Apostle says, I fear none of these things, neither do I care for my life more than I care for myself, provided I carry out the mission and the ministry the Lord Jesus gave me, and that was to bear witness to the good news of God's grace. And here Jesus talks about when God sees Mary and he says to her, Come to me, you who wipe out the bitterness of human disobedience, of human fornication with Satan, and of human ingratitude. I will take with you my revenge over Satan. Jesus says, God the Father Creator had created man and woman with such a perfect law of love that you cannot even understand its perfection any longer, and you become lost in wondering how the human species would have come to be if man had not been taught by Satan how to obtain it. Look at the fruit and seed plants. Do they produce seed and fruit by means of fornication, 
by means of one fecundation out of 100 copulations? No, the pollen emerges from the male flower and driven by a complex of meteoric and magnetic laws, it proceeds to the ovary of the female flower. Look at the animals, all of them. Have you ever seen a male animal and a female one approach each other for a sterile embrace and lascivious dealings? No. From near or far, they crawl, fly, jump, or run. They go when it is time to the fecundation rite. Neither do they evade stopping at the pleasure, but they go further to the serious and holy consequences of the offspring, the only reason that should cause a man a demigod by his origin of grace, which I have made complete, to accept the animality of the act, necessary since you descended by one degree towards animals. You do not act as plants and animals do. You had as your teacher Satan. You wanted him as your teacher, and you still want him. And the works you do are what one would expect of the teacher you wanted. Had you been faithful to God, you would have had the joy of children in a holy way, without pain. In vain, Satan, you have corrupted Adam and Eve, who had been created innocent, leading them to knowledge and conception by means of the sensuousness of lust, depriving God in his beloved creature of being the benefactor of the children according to rules, which had they been respected, would have kept a balance on earth between the sexes and the races, a balance capable of averting wars between peoples and calamities between families. By obeying, they would have also known love. Nay, only by obeying, they would have known love and possessed it, a complete and peaceful possession of this gift from God, who from the supernatural descends to the inferior, so that also the flesh may rejoice devoutly, since it is united to the Spirit, in created by Him who created the Spirit. Now, men, what is your love? That what are your loves? Either lewdness disguised as love, or an incurable fear of losing the love of your partner through her or other people's lewdness. You are never sure of possessing the heart of your husband or wife, since lust entered the world, and you tremble and cry and become overwrought with jealousy. Sometimes you kill to avenge a betrayal, sometimes you despair, sometimes you lack will or even become insane. This is what you have done, Satan, to the children of God. Those whom you have corrupted would have known the joy of having children without suffering any pain, and would have experienced the joy of being born without fear of dying, meaning losing one's soul. By now you are beaten in a woman and by a woman. From now on, whoever loves her, and here Jesus is talking about Mary, will become once again God's own, overcoming your temptations to be able to look at her immaculate purity. So here Jesus spoke about Eve's disobedience. Now the Holy Virgin Mary will speak about her obedience. Mary says, I obeyed in my joy, because when I understood the mission to which God called me, I was full of joy. 
My heart opened like a closed lily, and it shed that blood which was to become the soil for the Lord's seed, the joy of being a mother. I had consecrated myself to God since my childhood, because the light of the Most High had shown me the cause of evil in the world, and, as far as it was in my power, I wanted to remove from myself every trace of Satan. I did not know I was without stain. I could not think I was. That simple thought would have been presumption and pride, because since I was born of human parents, it was not right for me to think that I was the chosen one, to be the faultless one. The Spirit of God had informed me of the pain of the Father because of the corruption of Eve, who had lowered herself to the level of inferior creatures, whereas she was a creature of grace. It was my intention to soothe that pain by remaining unprofaned by human thoughts, wishes, and contacts, and thus restoring an angelical purity in, in my body. The palpitations of my heart were to be only for God, and only for God my whole being. Here Mary is saying that the passions of the flesh enslave us, they imbalance us, we become ruled by our passions, instead of being ruled by the pure love of God. We must focus on God, not on sex. We must focus and concentrate on love and simplicity for our procreation and not become obsessed by lustful passions. Mary continues, and she says, But if there was no passion of the flesh in me, there was still the sacrifice of not being a mother. Also Eve had been granted by the Father Creator the gift of maternity, a maternity devoid of what now degrades it, the sweet and pure maternity without a sensual burden. I experienced it. Of how much did Eve divest herself by giving up such wealth, more than immortality, and do not think that I am exaggerating. My Jesus and I, his mother, with him, have experienced the languor of death, I the sweet languor of a tired person who falls asleep, and Jesus the intense languor of one who dies sentenced to death. So we also experienced death. But only I, the new Eve, experienced maternity without any kind of profanation, that I might tell the world how sweet was the destiny of woman called to be a mother without any bodily pain. And the desire of such pure maternity was possible and actually existed in the Virgin wholly devoted to God, because that maternity is the glory of woman. If you consider in what high esteem the Israelites held a mother, you will realize even more what sacrifice I made when I consecrated myself to virginity. Now the eternal good Father granted me, his servant, this gift without divesting me of the purity I had clothed myself in to be a flower on his throne. And I rejoiced with the double joy of being the mother of a man and the mother of God the joy of being the woman by means of whom peace was re-established between heaven and earth. Oh, what a joy to have desired this peace for the sake of God and of men, and to know that it was coming to the world through me, 
the poor handmaid of the Almighty. What a joy to say, Men, do not cry any longer. I have in me the secret that will make you happy. I cannot tell what it is, because it is sealed in me, in my heart, just as the sun is enclosed in my inviolate womb. But I am already bringing it to you, and the moment when you will see him and hear his holy name is getting nearer and nearer. The joy of having made God happy, the joy of the believer for his God made happy. Oh, the joy of removing from God's heart the bitterness of Eve's disobedience, pride, and disbelief. My Jesus explained the fault with which the first couple got stained. I redeemed that sin by going up the same stages as they descended. Disobedience was the beginning of the downfall. Do not eat and do not touch of that fruit, said God. And man and woman did not respect that prohibition, although as kings of creation they were allowed to touch and eat of everything except of that tree, because God wanted them to be inferior only to angels. The tree, the means to test their obedience. What does obedience to God's commands imply? It implies all possible good, because God commands nothing but good. What is disobedience? It is evil, because it brings about a rebellious mental state in which Satan can be active. Eve goes toward the tree, which, if avoided, would have caused her welfare, but if approached, would cause her ruin. She goes there led by the childish curiosity of seeing what is special about it, and by a rashness that makes her consider God's command a useless one, since she is strong and pure, the Queen of Eden, where everything is subject to her, and nothing can hurt her. Her presumption is her ruin. Presumption is the yeast of pride. At the tree she finds the seducer, who sings his songs of lies to her inexperience, to her beautiful virginal inexperience, to her badly guarded inexperience. You think there is evil here? No, says the seducer, there isn't. God told you because he wants to keep you as slaves under his power. You think you are king and queen, says Satan? You are not even as free as wild animals. Animals can love one another with true love, but you cannot. Animals are granted the gift of being creators like God. Animals generate little ones and see their families grow as much as they like, but you do not. You are denied this joy. Why make you, man and woman, if you have to live thus? Be gods. You do not know the joy of being two in one flesh. That creates a third one and many more. Do not believe God, says Satan, when he promised you the joy of posterity, seeing your children forming new families, leaving their father and mother for their own families. God has given you a sham life. Real life is to know the laws of life. Then you will be like God's and you will be able to say to God, We are equal to you. And the allurement continued, because there was no will to break it. On the contrary, there was the will to continue it, and to learn what did not belong to man. 
and the forbidden tree becomes really mortal for the human race, because from its branches there hangs the fruit of bitter knowledge that comes from Satan. And Eve becomes a female, and with the yeast of satanic knowledge in her heart, she moves on to corrupt Adam. With their bodies and souls degraded, and their morals corrupted, they became acquainted with sorrow, and the death of both their souls deprived of grace, and of their bodies divested of immortality. And Eve's wound engendered suffering, which will not subside until the last couple on earth are dead. Mary continues, I went along the road of the two sinners, but in the opposite direction. I obeyed. I obeyed in every way. God inspired me to be a virgin. I obeyed. When I loved virginity that made me as pure as the first woman before she met Satan, God asked me to get married. And I obeyed, elevating marriage to the degree of purity intended by God when he created the first parents. I was then convinced that my destiny was solitude in marriage and the contempt of people because of my holy sterility when God asked me to be a mother. And I obeyed. I believed that it was possible and that the word came from God because I was filled with peace when I heard it. I did not think I deserved it. I did not say, now the world will admire me because I am like God, creating the flesh of God. No, I did not. I lowered myself in humility. Joy gushed out of my heart, but it was soon decorated with sharp thorns, and it was clenched in the tangle of sorrows, sorrow for the pain of my spouse. It suffocated my joy, sorrow for the pain of my son, a thorn that pierced my joy. Eve wanted pleasure, triumph, freedom. I accepted sorrow, humiliation, slavery. I gave up my peaceful life, the esteem of my spouse, my own freedom. I kept nothing for myself. I became the maid of God in the flesh, in morals, in the spirit, relying on him not only for the virginal conception, but also for the protection of my honor, for the consolation of my spouse, for the means suitable to elevate him also to the sublimation of marriage, so that we could restore man and woman to their lost dignity. I embraced the will of the Lord for myself, my spouse, and my creature. I said yes for the whole three, as I was certain that God would not break his promise to assist me in my sorrow of a spouse who realizes she is considered guilty, and of a mother who knows she is generating a son to deliver him to sorrow. I said yes and nothing else. That yes cancelled Eve's no to God's command. Yes, my Lord, as you wish. I will know what you want me to know. I will live as you want me to live. I will rejoice if you wish so. I will suffer for what you want me to suffer. Yes, forever. My Lord, from the moment your ray made me a mother to the moment you called me back to you. Yes, forever. Yes. 
all the good voices of the flesh, all the good passions of the spirit, were under the weight of my perpetual yes. My whole ego was subdued and made your servant, servant in joy, servant in sorrow. But smile, O God, and be happy. Guilt has been defeated. It has been removed and destroyed. It lies under my heel. It was washed in my tears and destroyed by my obedience. The new tree will be born of my bosom, and it will bear the fruit that knows all the evil, because Jesus will have suffered it all in himself, and will give all the good. All men will be able to come to him, and I shall be happy if they take of him, even if they do not remember that he was born of me. Providing man is saved and God is loved. Let it be done to his handmaid what is done to a clod of earth on which a tree is planted, a step to ascend. We must always be steps so that other people may ascend to God. It does not matter if they tread on us, provided they are successful in reaching the cross. It is the new tree that has the knowledge of good and evil, because it tells man what is good and what is evil, so that he may choose and live, and at the same time it is a medicine that cures those who are intoxicated by the evil they wanted to taste. Now Jesus speaks, and he says, My mother's words should disperse all perplexity of thought also in the minds most confused and muddled by pseudoscience. I said metaphorical tree. Now I will say symbolical tree. Perhaps you will understand that better. Its symbol is clear. The inclination to good and to evil of the two children of God would be understood by their behavior towards the tree. That tree, by God's command, became a means of testing, and it gave the measure of Adam's and Eve's symbolic purity. I can already hear your objection. Was the punishment not excessive, and the means used to condemn them not childish? Not so. Actual disobedience in you, who are their heirs, is not so grave as it was in them. You have been redeemed by me, but Satan's poison is always ready to rise again, like certain diseases that never disappear completely in the blood. The first parents possessed grace without ever even nearing disgrace. They were therefore stronger and more firmly supported by grace that generated love and innocence. The gift given them by God was infinite. Much graver is therefore their fall, notwithstanding that gift. Also the fruit that was offered and eaten was symbolical. It was the fruit of an experience they wanted to have at Satan's instigation to break God's command. I had not forbidden men love. I only wanted them to love each other without malice, as I loved them in my holiness. They were to love each other in the holiness of affections unsoiled by lewdness. It must not be forgotten that grace is light, and whoever possesses it knows what is good and useful to know. Mary, full of grace, knew everything because wisdom taught her. Wisdom that is grace, and she knew how to live in a holy way. Also Eve knew what was good for her to know, but not more, because it is valueless to know what is not good. 
but she did not have faith in God's word and was not faithful to her promise of obedience. She believed in Satan. She broke her promise. She wanted to know what was not good. She loved it without regret. She turned love into something corrupt and degraded, which I instead had permitted as something holy. A sullied angel, she wallowed in mud and litter, whereas she could have run happily amongst the flowers of the earthly paradise, and she could have seen her offspring flourish around her. Do not be narrow-minded, do not be deniers, accept the light without malice and stubbornness, without irony and disbelief. Enough said about that. To make you understand how grateful you must be to him who died to elevate you to heaven and to defeat Satan's concupiscence, I wanted to speak to you of what was the first link of the chain by which the word of the Father was dragged to death, the divine lamb to the slaughterhouse. I wanted to speak to you about it, because at present ninety percent of you are like Eve, intoxicated by Lucifer's breath and words, and do not live to love one another, but to glut yourselves with sensuality. You do not live for heaven, but for filth. You are no longer creatures gifted with soul and reason, but dogs without soul and without reason. You have killed your souls and perverted your reason. Okay, now that's pretty severe words by the Lord. And so let's talk a little bit about that and understand that Jesus is not very happy with us because we are not behaving as the virtuous people that he created, that he wanted. When man was created, man was created with all of God's virtues and man chose to deny those virtues, to sin, to become doers of evil. And I'm not saying that we are all running around doing evil, um, but I am saying that we take our eyes off of God and instead we often focus on prideful matters, matters that are geared towards power and advancement and ambition and sometimes unkindness, lack of charity, a lack of love for each other. God, of course, sent Jesus to reconcile us to him, to take our sins onto himself, and to reopen the gates of heaven so that we can once again bond our spirits with God's. And we can do that while we are here on earth by obeying God, by obeying his Ten Commandments, being virtuous people, keeping our minds clean and clear and our souls elevated. And as Jesus said earlier, he said, some time with your soul. Do your meditations. Read your Bible. Read your poem of the man God. Read your true life in God. Spend time conversing with God and praising God and loving God and being grateful to God. Spend your day with God. Invite him into your life and ask him to be part of your life and ask him what is his will for you and not just go through life blindly setting up your plans uh, making your schedule for the day and neglecting the single most important thing to love God and pay attention to him and ask him to guide us and to forgive us and to love us and to tell him that we love him 